welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Hello, Anxiety Sisters, and welcome to today's show. Our guest, like us, approaches her work from the sufferer's perspective. She spent more than half her life living as a people-pleasing, codependent, rule-following perfectionist, and as a result, was both anxious and unhappy. Luckily, she finally hit rock bottom, which propelled her to re-examine her thoughts and make real changes. For the last decade, through her coaching practice, blogs, and Love Your Life podcast, Susie Pettit has used her experience to help other women live more authentic and fulfilling lives by setting boundaries and practicing mindful self-compassion. We are so delighted she has agreed to join us on our show and share her expertise with us today. Welcome, Susie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And we're in need of boundary experts in the Anxiety Sisterhood. This is really Uh, an issue that comes up a lot, a lot. It comes up in our support groups. It comes up in our big group on Facebook. It comes up Mm -hmm. literally in emails everywhere. So we are really thrilled to have somebody who who not only knows about boundaries from a professional perspective, but who has also walked the walk because, you know, I have walked the walk. (laughs) Yeah, we dig dig the whole sufferer's perspective thing. That's our that's our beat, too. So Mm So we always start by asking our guests to share a little bit of their anxiety story with our listeners, because we believe that talking about it is both empowering and healing, and also it's a great way for our guests to get to know you a little bit. So would you mind sharing a little bit of your anxiety story? For sure. I I, I, I would love to, because I've definitely walked the walk, as you say, and I have had anxiety my entire life. I have not been aware that I have had anxiety until probably maybe 10 years ago, I, I had a term for it. I grew up in a house. I'm from um, sort of the Northeast of the United States outside of Boston. I grew up in a house that was, was the oldest of three daughters, male dominated. Um, my mom was a stay at home mom and it, love was very much conditional. I was told from as, as long as I can remember that my dad wishes I had been a boy that boys were better, boys had it better, boys were easy, you know, and, and so by the time my third sister came around, he named her Jill, and he always joked, he said, that's as close to a bill as I'm getting, but it was, it was one of those messages that even as I was born, I was not enough, like there, you know, there was something inherently wrong with me, which then led me to a place of just constantly trying to be something other than what I am, which is pretty much the backbone for anxiety, because you feel like nothing is ever enough. Nothing's ever good enough. You're never, you know, you're never there. And and I just want to say that my dad was a loving man. I have yet, I, I coach a lot of parents and I say that I have yet to meet a parent who actively says, I want to screw up my kid. <laughs> so I am aware and I, you know, send love to my father. I know that he was doing the best that he could, that he truly thought that it's harder to be a girl and it would be better to be a boy. And, and so then really led with this control and direction as to what, what was the right thing for Susie to do. So I grew up as a little girl, not looking internally for the answers, but externally. And always, you know, that, that's a very common experience, whether you were raised in the household I was or not. But this idea that we don't know what's right for us, we need to look externally, whether it's a parent or a teacher, a peer to see what is correct. 
And then that leads us into this sort of situation of never being enough. And that felt very unsettled for me. And while I didn't realize it at the time, it, it really was this, this low hum of anxiety. And so I did many things to try to manage my anxiety, none of which are very helpful. I um, turned to food and food food addiction, food. I developed an eating disorder of anorexia, and then I went to bulimia because that was not quite enough. So that was when I was 18, just sort of this, this just feeling of unsettled and out of control with my life. And so in order to control, well, I could control my food and then that that was unhelpful. I also felt so uncomfortable in social situations and so would use alcohol when I was at college to try to get through, you know, the fun fraternity party that everyone else was excited about. But I was feeling so unsure of myself. So let's use some alcohol and and then ultimately people pleasing ended up being a tool that really, by the time I reached, you know, my mid thirties, I realized was not helpful. It was a coping technique and I understand it, but trying to be that person that everyone else wanted me to be because of my past, because of, you know, my dad helping me see that, okay, come on, Susie, like, let's not be Susie. Let's be (laughs) what we want you to be. And then moving into my twenties and my first marriage with this looking externally for what I should like, what I should do, how I should behave, what a mother looks like, you know, what all of these rules and expectations. And that led me to feeling very disconnected from myself, of course, um, and also just very anxious if if things got out of control. By then I had three kids and, you know, kids are not, <laughs> they don't do what you want them to do <laughs> all the time, luckily, because they have their own little, you know, beings inside of them. And, and I really sort of reached a point in midlife where things just fell apart. <laughs> and then you hit rock bottom and you, and by the way, in the introduction, when I said, luckily, I don't want our mm-hmm. listeners to think that that's my word. That's mm-hmm. your word. You, that you- is my word. I am so grateful for my rock bottom. I, I had a friend, we were living sort of parallel lives. We were in a play group. And when I was 32 or 33, she was diagnosed with, with colon cancer and ended up dying three years later. And I was one of her primary caregivers. And it was the kind of wake up experience that I needed to see that, oh my gosh, life does not just keep going on. And here's this wonderful woman who was you know, we would get together and complain about the things, the same things and, and, you know, and then yet put on that happy face, like everything's fine here. And, you know, we were both mothers and and seeing her life end really got me to this place of, oh my goodness, Susie, like, what are you living for? And, and this life that I'm living is, is, is really this people pleasing, what I also call people deceiver. And, you know, I was deceiving my first husband. I was, you know, making it seem like all these things were happy and it was okay to have, you know, to do exactly what he wanted. And what do I want for dinner? Oh, I don't know, whatever you want. I was, you know, I was really in this place of discomfort. And and when I, when my friend passed, I, it, it was a rock bottom and it was a reckoning where I began to look inward for the answers, which was very uncomfortable for me (laughs) and look inward to see what did Susie want and to start to get to know myself. I call it my inner warrior, warrior with a (laughs) W-A-R-R-I-O-R and trying to figure out what she wanted. And when I did that, pretty much all of my worst fears came true. 
my ex-husband, well, he was not my ex at the time. My husband, you know, was not, he, I mean, he was deceived by that. He's like, come on, like, where's the old Susie? He kept saying, I want the old Susie back. And I was like, I don't know who that old Susie, that old Susie was a shell of a woman. And so he was, you know, that was challenging for him. My family was absolutely not okay with me disrupting the status quo. And and I definitely got the message of, of this is a good enough life, Susie, come on, suck it up. You're fine. Keep going. You know, who are you to ask for more? And they did numerous things to try to control me. And, and it was a, a, out of some love thinking that if I did X, I'd be happier in their mind. And so money was always something that ruled for them. So they um, destroyed some, I was married in 1996 before everything was online. So they destroyed some documents that showed my premarital earnings, which would have had me, those would have transferred to me after the divorce. They destroyed a document that took $482,000 from me and gave it to my husband the way that um, our state worked. And also said that they would stand behind him and support his legal counsel in my battle for my three children. And I mean, when I say everything went wrong, everything went wrong. And yet here I stand and I, I, I buckled down. I got on some anti-anxiety meds and I camped out in the unfinished basement of my marital home so that I, if in my state, if I left without my children, I, I, the courts with my parents and my ex would say that I was abandoning my children and I would abandon rights for custody. If I left with my children, the state would say that I was kidnapping them and thus I would probably lose my children anyhow. So my option was to stay in place for a year in an unfinished basement, which is where I hit rock bottom. I had 32 seizures in a weekend. I, um, you know, I had been a stay at home mom and suddenly was looking at a, a bank account with zero and how to get by. And yet, you know, one day at a time, here I am about 10 years later living my podcast that I have that you both were on. It's called the love your life show. And I am deeply and profoundly grateful for everything I've been through and for my parents and my ex and my experiences. I think a lot of people can relate to that when life, mm. you know, brick by brick starts to fall apart. So speaking of all that, like you talk so much about boundaries. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding what that means in practice. So could you explain a little bit about For like, sure. boundaries? Because I think we are not modeled boundaries. I wasn't modeled boundaries in my household growing up. And and I don't think we, if if anything, we as women who were told to, you know, come on, just suck it up. Don't be, don't rock the boat, be the good girl. That is, that is all boundaryless vocabulary. Mm -hmm. I define a boundary as a guideline for how I will be treated. It is not something I'm doing to someone else. It is something that if you're in relationship with me, this is how I expect to be treated. So a guideline that I set early on with my father was that if you continue to yell, I will hang up the phone. Or if you continue to yell, I will leave the room, you know, depending if we were on the phone or in person. I'm not telling him that he can or cannot yell. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm not shaming him. I'm not judging. I'm just, I'm just saying, if you continue to yell, you know, that's a guideline that I don't allow in relationship with me. So I will be leaving the room. A boundary is, is, is the guideline and the clear expectation with a follow through. 
now the way I'm living a life I love is because of the boundaries that I have. Healthy relationships have healthy boundaries. Some boundaries we don't need to say out loud. Like I do not, you know, walk up to people in the store and say, hey, you know, I don't let people hit me. Like that's, that's a guideline I have if you're in a relationship with me. But if the boundary is crossed, then I will say, you know, I don't allow people to hit me and, and, you know, take action. Or like there are lots of boundaries that we don't necessarily need to say. And then there are some that when pushed again, when, you know, when we're feeling certain feelings, it is a good sign for us that a boundary is needed. And one of those feelings that I notice with myself is um, annoyed or frustrated. Mm -hmm. If I am feeling annoyed or frustration, one of the first questions I ask myself is, is, oh my, one of the first things I notice is like, oh, wow, a boundary has been crossed. Say you have a friend that is always late for coffee and you've been getting together with her for, you know, however long and you're like, okay, you know, let's, let's have coffee at 11 tomorrow. And she says 11 and you say, okay, Hey, if, if you're there like later than eight, 11, 15, I'm going to leave and get started on my day. So that's a boundary, a guideline of how I want to be treated. Like, I, I don't want to really be waiting around for more than 15 minutes. Um, and if you do, you know, if you are running late or whatever, then, then I'll leave and we'll just reschedule. This is something that comes up often for women. It's not something I'm doing to the other person. She gets to choose. She can do whatever she wants. Although that in itself, people can tell themselves that's not nice or that's not kind. But the, the opposite of that is what, what I see play out often is that, you know, you say, okay, let's get together for coffee at 11. You get there at 11. 11, 10, 11, 15, 11:20, 11:25. The person comes, she sits down. How are you? You're like, fine. And you're like in your head, so annoyed. Are you listening frustrated. to us, Maggie? Are you listening to us? <laughs> I'm going, uh-oh, Susie would not. <laughs> well, and, and, she, and so there you are being what we think is a people pleaser because we aren't saying anything in honest, open communication to our friend, but we're being a people deceiver. We're deceiving our friend. Instead of saying, oh, you know what, I'm a little annoyed because you're running late and I had things to do today, but, you know, and maybe at that time we could say, it's all right, you know, let's just go till 12. That's the time I had and, 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 you know, move on till next time. But that feeling of frustration and annoyance is that sign that you're sort of putting your, someone else's needs above yours. And that is, that is codependency. That is not a great setup for a relationship. And it feels it feels really awful. And this is important to note is that when we are setting a boundary, like when we are choosing, when we're like, okay, you know what? I have that friend and she's always late. And so, you know, this time I'm going to say something and that can feel nerve wracking. That can feel, that can produce anxiety of this, like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to say something. Maybe we practice it in front of the mirror and we say, you know, we listen to podcasts like yours, or we get in your Facebook group and we know that what we're asking is reasonable you know, that's going to feel uncomfortable. And yet that moves us forward. The other action is going to feel uncomfortable with our boundary being violated and us, you know, self-abandoning and putting someone else's needs before ours. And we feel all, you know, anxious and icky and like, we're not being ourselves and it's uncomfortable. Then we go and we're like, yeah, we're fine. You know, nothing's wrong here. And then we go home and feel like we don't have these connected relationships, but you know, and, and I just like to, I like to point that out because both feel uncomfortable, both create anxiety. One moves us forward and one keeps us stuck in doing what we're doing. And so I'm always going to vote for listeners to move forward because there is ease on the other side, but it's, it's when we're there, both like we don't expect it to feel easy. Like it certainly wasn't easy. The first time I asked my dad, 
you know, and I said, if you keep yelling, I'm going to hang up the phone. And he kept yelling and I hung up the phone. I wanted to, I mean, I might've vomited in my mouth. Like it was not, not a pleasant feeling. And yet boundary set, I'm standing up for myself. Well, I can imagine like when you said that you're one of the things your ex-husband said when you decided that you needed to reclaim your own narrative mm-hmm. and decide what you really liked and not just only, you know, give in to whatever his needs and wants were when he said, I want the old Susie back. I get that mm-hmm. too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he doesn't come across as the good guy in the story, but mm-hmm. by the same token, it does feel like a setup, right? Yes. I mean, I imagine to the person, to the other person, it feels almost like a bait and switch. Like, wait a minute, you were always so agreeable. We always got to go to all my favorite restaurants. We always got to do all the things I want to do. And now all of a sudden you have new rules. Mm-hmm. I can see why that would create tension in a relationship or, or create, you know, to conflict. Mm-hmm. I like to point out with my story because some listeners will listen and they're like, they're like, oh my gosh, that's what happens when you set a boundary. And I need to say not all boundaries are like that. On a continuum, I'm at the far end where I, you know, break off contact from my biological family and get a divorce. There's a lot of gray in there between self-abandoning and being a people pleaser. And what I see all the time when I'm working one-on-one with clients are these little steps where it's like you're in a dance with these people. And at Mm -hmm. first they've missed a dance step. They're like, wait, 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 wait. You never said anything before about being late for coffee for 20 minutes, or you've never spoken up when I've yelled at you, or this has been our pattern. And I always get to choose where I'm going to dinner, you know, And, and that sort of like, hold on and confusion on their part that's just because you've been doing the dance for however many years. And I see a lot of people, a lot more than I see on this far extreme, a lot of people more like, okay, well, what does the new dance look like? Sort of this open receptivity. And that that's where we start to make the changes that feel really good in relationships. You know, it's really mm-hmm. interesting, but, you know, we always think of fight and flight or fight or flight as the stress response. That's sort of what's out there in the popular culture. And and now more and more people are recognizing freeze as that response that also connects with fight and flight. And it's, I guess, partially a nod to polyvagal theory. But um, another response that is not so talked about is the fawning response, which is that people pleasing. So this is a really, this is an important podcast for me personally, but I believe Mm -hmm. also for so many women, I I think there's a, there is a gender issue here. I think this is something that come that comes from living in a patriarchy. I I think absolutely um, it that it is gendered in some ways. I know you know my husband is a life coach for men, and they they get it in different ways too. And it comes out more through like choosing professions that'll make mom and dad happy, or that they think the wife wants them to have. You know, but but for us, for for me as a woman, I can speak to that. That it is definitely this idea that, you know, I was valued based on me being a good girl. I remember very early on going to some, some, like we didn't get many cookies or treats and we got to go to like a cookie place. And there was like a, I can remember the um, display in front of me with all the cookies. And I ordered a chocolate chip cookie and then went back to the table to sit down with my family. And when they brought the cookie or whoever got the, mine was an oatmeal raisin. And I remember opening it up and being like, Oh, you know, I, I don't know how old I was like six or seven. And like, oh, they gave me an oatmeal raisin. And I like, just like was like little Susie getting up and going to go back and get my chocolate. My mom was like, no, Susie, eat your cookie. Sit down, eat your cookie. Don't bother the waitress. Like this stranger. you for a second, Susie. You know, this is, this is something I feel very passionately about. Oatmeal Mm -hmm. raisin is not a real cookie. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I I wanted a chocolate chip. Chocolate chip. 
an Oreo, but you know, don't start telling me about fig newtons or oatmeal no. raisin. I mean, those are not Dude, that's like a salad. Okay, sorry, carry on. I had to make that no, point clear. I agree, and I obviously felt that way as a child. And then my mom was like, "Susie, sit down and eat your cookie. Don't bother the waitress." So she was putting a stranger, like this woman who we've never met before, this waitress above me, and a stranger who is being paid to meet my needs. Like that's her job to bring me what I ordered and paid for. We got so many of those messages as little girls. And so then when we grow up and we've been praised and we've spent so many years for being praised, for being that people pleaser, it is, it is just very, it's imperative that we keep some kindness towards ourselves and say, of course we're that way. And yet that's not helpful for us. Because if we mm. are in those relationships, if, we, if we're if we not speaking up for ourselves, if we're not saying, you know what, actually, I, I don't want to go to a wine festival. I would rather, you know, get a book and go read in a coffee shop with you. Like if we're, if we're not speaking up in that way, they're not able to be friends with the real us. So the whole relationship is this, is this farce. People pleasing is, is really unhelpful for both parties. I think a lot of our anxiety sisters write us a lot of, especially about their family of origin mm. and like wanting to create more boundaries with how they're treated or what they're expected to mm-hmm. do or being able to speak out for themselves more. And, but they are really afraid that they will lose those relationships. What do you tell people like that? I, yeah, I just, I hold their hand and say, I understand. I absolutely understand. And I would encourage them to get into a group like yours or like mine, where we, where we model healthy boundaries. And then I encourage them to take the first step because it is, it is very, very rare that the relationships are terminated for a long period of time. What, what happens instead and, and still feels not so great to our nervous system is maybe an immediate pushback that feels very uncomfortable. So say, you know, I hear from a lot of people saying, well, my mom, you know, my mom just likes to call me every day and check in. She's bored. She's lived her life for me. And, and this is my mom, you know, let's take care of my mom. And, and it's that like, okay, so that's your mom. Let's take like what's right for you. And do you like talking to your mom every single day, you know, pushing the guilt aside and what society tells us, like how much enjoyment do you get when you hang up the phone? Are you like, wow, that was so nice. Or are you like, okay, glad that's over with tick the box. You know, do you look, so paying some attention to what their inner warrior is telling them, first of all, and then just starting to set small guidelines. So if it's, if the mom is calling every day, you know, and they're talking for an hour, then maybe to start by just saying, hey, mom, I have half an hour to talk today. I'm really interested in what you're saying. You know, and after half an hour, I'm going to be gone. And then it's 25 minutes in, she's still going on and on and on. And you're like, okay, mom, I've got about five minutes left. And then I'm going to be, you know, hanging up the phone. And she's, and then you're like, okay, mom, I'm going to be hanging up the phone. But hold on, we're not done. I'm done, mom. I'm sorry. You know, I understand. And then you hang up the phone and you have that moment where you probably vomit in your mouth and you put your hand on your heart and you say, I'm doing nothing wrong. This is okay. And then you do it again the next day. What we don't want to do is say that we have half an hour. And then when it gets to 25 minutes, mom is like, oh, no, 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 wait, I didn't tell you about Uncle Joey. And then we stay on the phone for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. And then we hang up and we're like, (laughs) showing us that we've crossed. I mean, that's the same thing as if any of your listeners have kids, when our kids are in the toy store and they're like, hey, mom, can I have the cookie? Can I have the cookie? You know, can I have the new Lego? Can I have the new Lego? Can I have the new Lego? And you say, no, no, no. And but then you say yes, like the 13th time. And you've taught them, oh, okay, all we need to do is ask 13 times. We've got it. 
know, for your mother, it's like, all I need to do is come up with it and we've got it. We need to have firm guidelines of how we want to be treated with the follow through. Another thing I have see parents, see kids do is they'll say like, okay, you know what? She calls me every day. I'm going to go down to every other day. Mom, you know what? I'm trying to, I have a lot going on with all your grandkids or with my job or with my, or not even giving excuses, but it's, it's not working for me every day to call. So I'm going to be, you know, why don't we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and I will look forward to talking to you then. Um, and then the mother is going to feel like a dance has been changed and she'll push back and she might say things like, what is going on? You know, how dare you? This is not what a daughter does. I need you. I have lots of posts on my Instagram about things that people say when they push back against boundaries. And for us, it's helpful when we're going into it to just sort of expect that, expect the resistance, expect that confusion. Because we've been, you know, we've been teaching people how to treat us and how to interact with us for a long, long time. So it's, it's not necessarily this total negative, okay, we're done, but it is some confusion. And it's like, you've changed the dance and we need to give them a little bit of time to adjust to the dance while still holding firm with your boundary. Right. Right. Got that. When practicing boundaries, I say, you know, start with, with some of the easier relationships. So, you know, your biological family is going to be one of the biggest triggers. And so maybe, right. you know, I like thinking, right. I like thinking of relationships sort of like that target sign, like you're in the middle and then there are circles coming out from it. And so that first circle might be your biological family and your husband and your kids, but then that next circle, your dear friends and you know, whatever. So in that next circle, like let, let's start with the waiter when he brings you salsa and you've asked for guacamole, you know, can you speak up for yourself and say, Hey, I really wanted the guacamole and then feel nervous and, and remind and put your hand on your heart. I'm doing nothing wrong. I've ordered this. This is okay. So you start getting your nervous system a little more adjusted. It's okay. It's okay. I've done nothing wrong here. And then moving in a little with the friend, maybe. So I was going to say, or ask you about the intersection of gaslighting and setting boundaries, because it's really hard when you've been living in a situation where you may not know what your needs are anymore. Mm-hmm. Or you may, and you may be separated from other people because the person who's been gaslighting you has a, another agenda, maybe a narcissistic agenda, who knows, but it's not a healthy one. And you may not know your own needs well enough to say to someone, here's, here's a rule for how I want to be treated. Uh, you know, that's, I, I think Mags and I encounter a lot of women in that situation. Yes. yes. And that was definitely my situation. And, 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 you know, what's really happening when we're younger and we are upset, like even with the the chocolate chip and the oatmeal slash cookie, <laughs> whatever you want to call it was this gaslighting of ourselves even then. Like, don't be upset, Susie, you have a cookie. You know, telling me that my feelings are not real, that I'm not, it's this like discounting and and non-validation of our feeling state. And then we get into that, you know, as people pleasers, I say we're often gaslighting ourselves. We're like, oh, it's not so bad. Okay, she wants Chinese. I wanted Mexican, get over it. Or the salsa's fine. You know, it's just- Can I, can I, I'm going to stop you there and repeat Mm -hmm. that because that just resonated for me really strongly. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if other people pleasers are hearing it. But you were saying that we, we're gaslighting ourselves when we're not asserting our own need. 100%. I, 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 am notice, I notice it with myself when I'm just like trying to talk myself out of emotion I'm having or, or just saying, you know, you shouldn't be scared or you shouldn't feel anxious about that or you shouldn't be worried about that. It's like, but I am. Right. I never thought of it as gaslighting myself, but absolutely mm. it is. Wow. Mm-hmm. It also is on the other side. 
when you set the boundary and that person has an emotion, they're allowed to have an emotion that we're not telling them how to behave. I do realize I find it most challenging with my husband. It's like if he's feeling really upset or disappointed or angry, Mm. you know, I definitely find like I have trouble letting him just sit and feel his feelings. That's where I noted like my anxiety come in because I'm feeling anxious about him having a feeling. Yes. And so then me going in and like giving advice when it's not asked for or trying to fix it is really my own bid to manage my own anxiety. About my own anxiety, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not so helpful. What usually happens is they double down on their thoughts. They're like, no, you don't understand. It's going to be harder for us to be interdependent instead of codependent. Interdependency is that, you know, lovingly detached, like we're fiercely committed to our husbands, but lovingly detached. We don't need them to always, you know, put on a nice emotion for us to feel or what, and that's going to be harder the closer they are in on that circle. Like the more they're out, it's, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I get how that's frustrating to you. I'm sorry. You know, it's like the neighbor's husband. You're like, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Thanks to have all those emails. And then we give them more compassion and help and space for them to feel their feelings than we do the people that matter more to us. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. One of my podcasts, I talk about parenting as if your kid is like the stranger in Starbucks. Like it's just, you know, like the (laughs) random kid comes home and is like, I failed my biology test. And you like, if it's the random kid in Starbucks, you might be like, oh, that stinks. I'm sorry. If it's your kid, you're like, oh my God, should we call the teacher? What should we do? Well, yeah. that's why you, know, you were on social media too much last night. We just get all <laughs> their business. And it's yes. Like- yes. Yeah. There is, there's something about that. I, I like that interdependence, which is sort of a detached commitment. You know? mm-hmm. I call like, it lovingly detached. Like lovingly that's, detached. that's another thing is that people are like, so what's the, you know, when we're talking about boundaries, you're talking about rigid and you're never, it's like, oh, whatever sucks to be you. No, that's detached. That's completely hands-off. And then we have completely codependent, which is enmeshed. And you, like, you're taking, you're way too over-involved in other people's feeling states and life experiences. Instead, we were looking for this interdependence in the middle. I often say like every, people in my life are allowed the dignity of their journey. They're on this journey. I am not, you know, some master of the universe, even though at times I think I am. (laughs) And another thing I like to say is, is this is not mine to fix. You know, one of my favorite emotions to feel is pride. And I, I cannot think of a time that I have felt proud of myself that has not come after a moment of discomfort and, and sort of that ickiness of maybe the failed test or a depression. and, And then you get yourself up and out of it. And what we're doing is we're sort of, we're, we're taking away the people we love their opportunity to feel that pride. Susie, you are such a treasure. You have given us so (laughs) many really tangible Mm -hmm. and helpful things to think about As soon as I get off this podcast, I'm going to go and take a lot of notes because I, I I feel like you've helped me a lot today. Thank Mm. you for the therapy. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I'm on this journey with you. That's how, I mean, I, that is just my, my passion is helping women live lives they love because I lived a life for so many years that I didn't love. And it's just starting small, taking one step at a time and, and knowing that there are people, there are anxiety sisters out there supporting you, which is just, we're on this path with them. Tell our listeners all the places they can find you. Okay. smbwell.com is my website. I'm at smb.wellness on Instagram, the love your life show 
podcast is awesome. And if you are a parent of kids ages 10 to 25, the hottest item right now is my parenting program. It's all online. They can do it at their own pace. And in there, I speak of how to set boundaries and guidelines for your family that set you up for really a a much different experience of parenting teens and young adults so so that we're not parenting in a codependent and boundary way. And it, it just brings great freedom to households. So that would be, that's at smbwell.com slash parenting. And we're going to put all those links in the show notes. So you can just click awesome. and go right Yay. to where Susie's just told you to go. I really like Keep that going. giving people the dignity of their own journey. Because I think that a lot of things that anxiety sisters respond to is when people don't give us the dignity of our anxiety. Yes. 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 That gaslighting again does not feel good. Yeah, yesterday I had an experience of somebody telling me to stop being so anxious. And whenever that happens, I always have the same response, which is, you think I want to be anxious? Do you think this is something I'm choosing? I'm oh, I, I just say, please, I'm not, not. I'm less yeah. happy about it than you are. <laughs> I see. That's a great boundary right there. I say, I'm not asking for your opinion. I'm telling you how I feel. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us. I know you have to probably get going very soon. We have a hard boundary at four o'clock. Here we go. (laughs) That was her boundary. Yes. The very first minute. Hi, ladies. I got to be out of here at four. (laughs) Well, and then that helps me ease anxiety. So we're all on the same page. That's what boundaries do. They sort of set the guidelines and a framework from which we can operate. And then we... We all feel like grounded. It helps our anxiety. That too, Megs. Mm-hmm. We need to do that yeah. with people too. We need to give them a hard boundary. Yeah. Yep. That would be helpful. So nice. thanks again, Susie. Okay, dear ones. Big hugs to you Great all. Great to see you. We'll see you yeah. soon. Now it's time for announcements with Mags. <laughs> the first one is that um, we do have a private support group that meets once a week and, and is connected by Facebook. Um, the rest of the time. And it's a six-week program and it costs $99 to be in, in it for all six weeks. It's been such a lovely and wonderful group of women. And if you're interested in joining in for the next session, shoot us an email or PM us on Facebook, you know, just get in contact with us and we'll tell you. Carrier pigeon. Yes, a carrier pigeon would be so great, wouldn't it? Um, so just get in contact with us because we'd love to tell you more about it. Any other announcements we have? Um, no, I don't think we have any other announcements. Okay, all right. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on, and at our website, www.anxietysisters.com. As always, if you have feedback, especially compliments, questions or an idea for a podcast, please email us. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would so, so, so appreciate you leaving us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes or anywhere you listen to the podcast so we could get the word out to more anxiety sisters. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, why are you saying it in slow motion? Oh God. Okay. Remember anxiety sisters don't go it alone. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.